However high they reached, however hard they tried, people could never get back to heaven by themselves. People didn't need a staircase. They needed a rescuer. Because the way back to heaven wasn't a staircase. It was a person. People could never reach up to heaven. So heaven would have to come down to them. And one day, it would. God was at that time, has been since before eternity passed and will be into the future, interested in the salvation of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God's salvation is for everybody. Lest we think we have a hold of it. It's bigger than us and our culture. It's bigger than Trinity. It's bigger than the PCA. It goes out, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Podcast. We're glad you joined us. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Awaso. Follow along as I lead us in a reading of God's Word from Genesis 11, looking at verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. And therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On December 11th, 1998, a 1,400-pound space probe was launched by NASA. Its destination, the planet Mars. This massive undertaking was designed to study the red planet's weather and atmosphere and water vapor. And then some nine and a half months later, 
And 461 million miles later, this Mars climate orbiter begins to enter the red planet's orbit. But on September 23rd of 1999, a problem arises. All communication with the $125 million probe lost. Why? Because NASA, who launched the probe, and Lockheed Martin, who built the probe, got their communication crossed in production. You see, NASA was, uni was using metric units, and Lockheed Martin, who built it, was using imperial units. In other words, NASA was using centimeters and meters, and Lockheed Martin was using inches and feet. What happened to the probe? Either it banked into Mars's atmosphere and met a fiery end as it crashed into the planet, or it continued zooming past Mars and is in some orbit around the sun. They don't know. But the world's foremost scientists lost a $125 million spacecraft because one team was using centimeters and the other one was using inches. Amazing. John Logsdon, the director of George Washington University's Space Policy Institute, gave his, his best scientific explanation and put it this way, and I quote, that is so dumb. <laughs> when we're not speaking the same language, we make problems happen. For all our advances in technology, you think that something like that wouldn't happen. It was nearly the year 2000. Fortunately, that mistake hasn't been made since. But it's amazing. And we see that in today's passage. In Genesis 11, the story known most commonly as the Tower of Babel. God confuses their language and they just quit building because there's just nothing you can do. So what we're going to look at this morning is just two points in this story about the Tower of Babel. Then we're going to turn back in our bulletins to Acts 2, the passage that was read earlier, and we're going to look at Pentecost and then take a brief overview of how Babel and Pentecost are related, okay? So the first thing is the Tower of Babel. Babel was really unique in Scripture because Babel was mankind's first unified effort against God's authority. Babel was mankind's first unified effort against God's authority. In verses 1 and 2, what we see is that they really did have one language. 
It's almost impossible for us to fathom that. But there was one language on the earth. And I've been asked this as a pastor, and I'm sure Blake has. You've probably asked this yourself. What was the language that they were speaking? And the answer is, I don't know. Nobody knows. But God confused it. And they were living in this one region, Shinar. It's in the Mesopotamian region, which if you notice was also mentioned in Acts chapter 2. People in that region hearing God's word. And then in verses 3 and 4, we see, we see their effort against God's authority. They built for themselves a city and a tower. Now, why did they do that? It says, lest we be dispersed. Now, if you think back to the command that was given mankind in Genesis chapter 1, it was to be fruitful and multiply and then fill the earth and subdue it. And here, after Noah, in this Mesopotamian region, the people say, yeah, we don't want to fill the earth. We're going to build a city, and we're going to build a tower to make a name for ourselves. So you see this massive push of self-autonomy and self-sufficiency because they refused to follow God's command. Their entire language, I don't know if you noticed this or have seen this in the past, in the passage, had no reference to the Lord whatsoever. What would the Lord have us do? We will do this for the Lord. No. It was for us in our name. And what's interesting here is that their technology and their social unity gave them confidence in their own ability. Both their technology and their social unity gave them confidence in their own ability. That sounds a lot like us. Our technology, our social unity, go, we've got this. We don't have to worry about it. I mean, we live in a day and age where we don't even really have to to think about where our food comes from, right? We don't even have to live near where the food is grown or slaughtered or made. Our confidence in our own abilities and technologies are these things that are just kind of in the background. And I think that when, when we read Genesis 11, we read that as, oh, this is a very foreground problem that they have. They clearly are in open rebellion against the Lord. And what I want to ask is, what if they were just actually a lot more like us? Going, this city's awesome. These buildings are beautiful. This tower is magnificent. What if they weren't just marching around the city saying, we're in rebellion against the Lord? I will never sing again, I promise. But it was just subtle, just like yours and mine. The city and this building, why are they building it? 
They need a city to house all the people to keep them from being dispersed. So they're actively doing things in order to not have to obey the Lord. Very interesting, too, is in the very next chapter, we're introduced to a character by the name of Abram. Abram is called out of this very region to be dispersed and to bless the nations. So you go from a people gathering themselves, trying to prevent from being dispersed, preventing blessing to the whole world, and then you have Abram right after being called to be a blessing to the whole world. So first, Babel was mankind's first unified effort against God's authority. And then second, God prevented the people from ultimate rebellion. In verses five and six, it talks about how the Lord came down to kind of see what they were doing. It's not because God isn't omnipresent. He he is omnipresent. But I think what the author is doing here is kind of showing the irony of it, right? Oh, well, you think your city is so big and your tower is so amazing. The Lord had to come down to look at it. That's how impressive it was. And then the Lord, it says, confuses their language. And that place is known as Babel, right? So Babel. That comes from the Hebrew word balal, which is to confuse or to mix or to mingle. And could you imagine what that was like? You just wake up one morning, y'all were working on a tower, singing the song that I sang earlier. And you say, hi, Jim. And the person looks at you like you're crazy. And I imagine it's one of these things where you don't know if you're crazy or the person you're talking to is crazy. And who knows how long it takes for the entire thing to spiral out of control. And they probably tried to continue working on the tower and go, you're doing centimeters, I'm doing inches, and I have no idea what's going on. And they just give up. They just give up. My kids asked me last night, well, what happened to the Tower of Babel? Where is it? I don't know. It's probably under feet and layers of dirt and rock and everything else. Maybe one day we'll find it. But I know it didn't get all that big because they gave up. So that's the Tower of Babel. That's where our languages come from. So while we see so many similarities in languages by region, and it was mankind's first coordinated effort against God's authority. Now let's turn our eyes then to Acts chapter 2. So turn back there in your bulletins. And in Acts chapter 2, it opens by saying, when the day of Pentecost arrived. The first thing I want to point out about Pentecost, this particular day, is, that, is this. Pentecost was a unique one-time event. You guys know the difference between prescriptive and descriptive, right? Prescriptive says 
You need to do something. Descriptive says, well, this is what happened. This is how it was done. A lot of times we read the book of Acts as if it were prescriptive. In other words, this is what we should be doing or this is what it should look like. When in actuality it was written to be descriptive. In the same way that the four gospel accounts were written to be descriptive, right? I don't think anyone reads the gospel accounts and says, oh yeah, we should be doing what Jesus did and being exactly the way Jesus was and can't wait till I get to 30 to 33 years old where I can start my ministry and then die on a cross for humanity. No one says that. We read it as descriptive. And Acts is marking out the beginning of the church. It's the Acts of the Apostles. Is the official name of it. It's not the Acts of normal church folk. It's the Acts of the Apostles. And it follows around different apostles giving snapshots into that. And the man who wrote Luke, Luke, also wrote Acts. And he intended it to be descriptive so that you and I, some 2,000 years later, can look back and say, what was the early church like? Give us insights into this first generation of Christians. How does this help us understand all of the letters that we see in the New Testament? There's not commands in it. It is written to be descriptive. So first was when Pentecost was a unique one-time event. When the day of Pentecost, one time. The second is, God used Pentecost to begin the spread of the gospel among the nations. Now, previously, you did have Jews from a lot of different nations. We see that in this passage. But before this, God's people was just one ethnic, cultural, in a way, a monolith. They were a theocracy, by this point, had been conquered by the Romans, so they're living under their control. But the people were all very the same. And what we see at Pentecost was the gospel going out to the nations. This is the first true fulfillment of Jesus' command in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, to go. You see in verse 9 and following here, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, previously the God of Abraham, the gospel of grace, even in the Old Testament, it was for the Jews. Even Jesus himself said, salvation is from the Jews. But now it's for the nations. And you have people at this time who were there beginning to preach the gospel in languages that they didn't understand, but that others who were in their presence could hear. That's why we had all of our different readers read in languages that they knew. It was actually really cool. Wasn't it? And then, did you notice something too? 
It seems like the only people in our congregation who are bilingual or trilingual are women. I don't know what to say about that. I'm just going to leave it there. Could you imagine that? Having them all speak at the same time and other people in the congregation hearing that. And not only the five languages that we heard, as well as sign language, but you had 15 other languages being heard and people speaking, and we're in a marketplace that's as diverse as New York City, and people are hearing God's word in their own tongues. God was at that time, has been since before eternity passed, and will be into the future, interested in the salvation of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. His salvation is not limited to English and white people in Owasso, Oklahoma. It is for Cubans suffering under persecution of communism. It is for Russians living in the cold of Siberia. God's salvation is for everybody. Lest we think We have a hold of it. It's bigger than us and our culture. It's bigger than Trinity. It's bigger than the PCA. It goes out, friends. Pentecost was the beginning. And I think almost all of us, if not all of us in this room, were not born to Jewish parents. We're all Gentiles. We owe our faith to what happened here in Acts chapter 2. Praise the Lord. So Pentecost was a unique one-time event. God used it to begin the spread of the gospel among the nations. And then third, God used Pentecost to reverse his curse at Babel. So if you're a note taker, take your pen out and you can just draw a line down your note section. And we're gonna look at Babel And then we're going to look at Pentecost. Now, I'm an engineer by training, probably by thought process. And when I think, I think systematically and I think in charts. So what I'm going to try to do is to express a chart, okay? So let's start with Babel. At Babel, we had the confusion of tongues. Then at Pentecost... Tongues are understood. Pentecost reverses Babel. At Babel, God scatters the people in judgment. And at Pentecost, God gathers the peoples in redemption. At Babel, language is used to promote man's agenda. Look at us. We will make our name great. In a Pentecost, language is used to promote God's agenda. Very interesting. At Pentecost, you have the gift and ability of being able to speak in another language and what these people are speaking. They're speaking God's word. They're not given amazing recipes that cross cultural boundaries. It's God's word. 
And then finally, at Babel. Babel, it results in disunity. Their attempt at unity results in disunity. And at Pentecost, it results actually in unity. Their disunity results in unity. I think it's really interesting, just in closing, that you have something like Babel, and people's, people's way to make a name for themselves is to build a tower. Have you ever thought, wow, that's weird? Why that? Why not, why not crop circles? Why not a rocket? Well, they probably didn't have gunpowder back then, but why a tower? Have you ever watched, especially the little boys play? Play with blocks? What do they do? They take those blocks and they attempt to build a tower. Right? Like this is a big, a big step in their childhood development. And as soon as they're able to build a tower, of course, if it's rambunctious boys, they destroy it like King Kong or like Godzilla, right? What is this innate thing within us to build a tower? Why is that there? I'm going to close by reading you this last page on the Tower of Babel in the, in the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you haven't read this, I would encourage you to get it. It is not merely for children. I saw college students, I gave this to college students, and I saw college students come to faith by reading this. So let me share with you. May I? Some of you are thinking, well, if that, if that means the sermon ends, then yes, please. After that, people scattered all over the world, which is how we ended up with so many different languages to this day. You see, God knew however high they reached, however hard they tried, people could never get back to heaven by themselves. People didn't need a staircase. They needed a rescuer. Because the way back to heaven wasn't a staircase. It was a person. People could never reach up to heaven. So heaven would have to come down to them. And one day, it would.